Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. If you missed my previous interview, I had a very candid conversation with UK editor Jim Page, who told the story about recently being fired from a job because he requested one single day off for mental health reasons. So for those of you who battle mental health problems, I wanted to provide a deeper discussion about how our modern society is damaging our brains and causing things like chronic anxiety, depression, and burnout, and most importantly, how to reverse that damage through simple lifestyle changes. Now, if I were to ask you what your greatest asset is in producing quality creative work on a consistent basis, you would most likely say that it's your computer, right? Duh. However, despite technology being incredibly important for your work, ultimately it is your brain that is responsible for every function you perform and how well you perform creatively depends on the overall health of your brain. Yet, as a creative professional, you most likely fuel yourself with caffeine and afternoon sugar rushes, you fend off brain fog and the inevitable afternoon nap, and you'll most likely deprive yourself of sleep for however long it takes to make your latest project perfect. However, do you know how your modern lifestyle is not only affecting your general health, but also your brain health? And how much do you really know about what your brain needs to function optimally? Now, what if there were simple steps that you could take to improve your brain function so that you have more consistent energy and more creativity? And what if there were easy ways to improve your mood, reduce stress, anxiety, burnout, and even stave off degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's in the process? Sounds pretty good, right? Well, my guest today is Dr. Dave Jenkins, who's the co-founder of The More Model. With experience in both traditional medical fields as well as functional and integrative medicine, Dr. Jenkins specializes specifically in brain health, and he's going to teach you how you can optimize your brain function and fight back against what he calls the diseases of modern civilization. 
He shares with us some encouraging research that's being done in the field of brain health and cognitive performance and how all of us can take a proactive role in optimizing our brains. This conversation is going to make it very clear why paying attention to your brain health is vitally important to your career, while also giving you a few simple and practical ways for you to increase your creativity, your productivity, and give you more consistent energy so you can fuel those long days at your workstation, and all of these things might even help extend your life as well. All right, without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Dave Jenkins. I'm here today with Dr. Dave Jenkins, who is the co-founder of The More Model, and I'm super excited about this conversation because anybody that listens to the show on a regular basis knows that I have very little formal knowledge about the brain, but I love talking about how the brain works, and you, sir, are a brain expert, so it is a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, hi, Zach. Yeah, it's fun to be here, too. So what we're going to get into today is going to be a deep dive into the brain, but especially aging of the brain, understanding how we're hurting our brains, and some understanding maybe leading us towards Alzheimer's and all these other things, but how it can actually really start much earlier than people might think. But before we go into the rabbit hole, and we will go into the rabbit hole, I just want to get a little deeper understanding of your background, kind of your your credentials, and then how you got to where you are today creating this model. Right. Well, um, basically, I'm a functional medicine physician. And how I got into this was I actually am the founder of a, a nonprofit organization called SurfAid that do a lot of work in Indonesia with the tsunamis and mother-child mortality rates. So I founded that on a surfing holiday to the paradise of uh, surfing called the Mentawes Islands. We call it the, the Disneyland of surfing. And, and that's what I do in your neck of woods in Malibu. We run fundraisers and things like that. But through five tsunamis, I had my own health crisis. I was taking care of uh, hundreds of thousands of other people, but not myself. And I really uh, had to ask the question, you know, how do I reverse what I've done to myself just through the stress and the poor diet and focusing on, you know, other things apart from health? And that led me down a rabbit hole, if you like, called functional medicine, which is the medicine of really taking a look at your biological systems and what goes wrong with them and how they work together to create disease and then reversing that process to literally reverse disease. And one thing led to another. My parents got died, both of them at the same time with early Alzheimer's. And so I went to my medicine to, to look at what was happening there. And I discovered an extraordinary series of case trials uh, that we'll, where we can talk about that the first time has reversed early Alzheimer's cognitive decline. And so that's what I'm specializing in largely. I do have other clients, you know, younger people with prostate cancer and other things that we provide an alternative but scientifically based uh, plan and process with. Okay, now I want my audience to understand a little bit further what functional medicine means, because there's a lot of different terms now in both the medical fields and the non-medical fields where people are talking about all these different types of holistic medicines and natural medicines, and people immediately have this reaction like, oh yeah, you're, of course, you're not a real doctor, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I know that that's not the case. So because this is still kind of a burgeoning field, and I've had uh, an integrative medicine specialist on the show several times, but I want to make sure people really understand what functional medicine means from a medical perspective so we can then go deeper into the brain. Okay, so 
Yeah, there's a lot of commonalities between integrative medicine and functional medicine. Um, The strict definition of functional medicine is it's a highly personalized system, which we will we look at the biological systems of each individual and look at where they're suboptimally functioning. And then we optimize those functions, understanding that one system will be affecting the other. So it's looking at how they integrate. For example, if you're not sleeping very well, we know all sorts of things are happening to your hormones that's going to drive your desire for carbohydrates, that's going to inflame you, that might make you anxious and depressed, blah, etc. So We look at each of those systems, find out where the weak spots are, and create personalized plans to optimize those, knowing that they will affect other things optimally as well. Yeah, and that's very different. And I'm assuming you're you're a Kiwi, correct? You're in New Zealand? Correct, yes. So I I know that, uh, at least in the U.S., the medical system has gotten to the point where medical doctors are just that. They are just there to prescribe medicines. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't go see medical doctors, but I've talked with other very, very certified, very professional medical NDs that agree that the system is broken. Now, it sounds like with the functional medicine, you're looking at the root cause of problems of trying to solve them. But do you also see a lot of the same systemic issues in the more like, quote unquote, traditional medical systems over there in New Zealand and Australia? Oh, absolutely. Look, I was an academic for five years. And part of my job was to train doctors about the latest evidence-based Uh, protocols that they should be using. And the only place I could get sponsorship for conferences was drug companies. Now, drug companies have a place, but they're basically buying out or in the process of buying out medical education. And they know that's what works. Yes, we are trained in what we call allopathic medicine, which is a very linear model. So you have high blood pressure, take a drug, see me in three months. Now, functional medicine would say you have high blood pressure, why? What is that mix of genetics and epigenetics that means the interaction of genes with the environment that's given you high blood pressure? And what do we do to reverse it and to get you well again? So, yeah, we're not trained. And that's what actually motivated me. I was highly embarrassed by how little I knew about nutrition after, you know, nine years of training and I, I just knew very, very little. We had a total of four hours of training on nutrition. And that was really the basics about protein, carbohydrates, et cetera. We knew nothing about how molecules and you know, food molecules influence and turn on and off our genes. So yes, it's becoming better, but it's we're swimming up against a real heavy tide and a heavy stream for sure. And I'm so glad to hear that from a licensed medical professional because I'll try to tell that to people in casual conversation. And they'll say, well, my doctor said I should eat this, this, and that. And I'm like, no offense, your doctor has years and years of experience, but I myself with zero licensed medical knowledge probably know more about food, diet, and nutrition than a licensed doctor that's done none of the work because that's not part of the curriculum. And I hear that from so many doctors. I've gone to conferences that have doctors that say the same thing. Like I left my practice because I was embarrassed with the way that I was taught to treat people and I had to find a better way to allow people to be well rather than just make sure that they didn't get sicker. Absolutely, and that's what I feel. And, and yeah, that, I think that's a real common thread when you when you listen to doctors who are, have moved into integrative functional medicine because 
we were motivated to help people. And what we find is that, yes, there's a place, especially in acute medicine, trauma. I mean, modern medicine is extraordinary, and, and we celebrate that. There's no place I want to be if I have a car crash but an intensive care ward of a teaching hospital. But that's only a small part of things, and the biggest burden we all face is this risk of chronic disease and just to let you know that just came out that the life expectancy in America for the first time ever just dipped downwards and this is telling us about what's going on with with how we're living our lives so look it's definitely swimming upstream but you know there are things happening like the Cleveland Clinic Every doctor learns about the Cleveland Clinic wherever you are in the world because they're real leaders. They have just opened a functional medicine unit and they've come out publicly stated, this is the future of medicine. This is the 21st century medicine and we're getting going with it. Yeah, these are exciting times. Yeah, and I'm, my understanding is that Dr. Mark Hyman is the one that's uh, doing a lot of the, like, building that that movement, correct? Yeah, he's he's definitely a leader. And then there's people that I work with with the Alzheimer's, like Pat Hanaway and Nate, and there are definitely other people. But he's certainly been a leader in the field. Yeah, he's certainly one of the the faces of all of it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked and lived in Hollywood for 15 years. So anybody that talks to me, like, oh, have you met Leonardo DiCaprio? And have you met these people? And um, I'm like, yeah, I've met some of them. And, you know, I've I, like I've sat next to Leonardo DiCaprio at an awards event. To me, that's no big deal. But then somebody says that they know Mark Hyman. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, Mark Hyman. That's so cool. So I'm 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 that geeky about this stuff. But anyway, that's a total tangent. I want to start to go a little bit deeper now and start talking about your more model, what that stands for, and then really talk about this idea of how modern life is really damaging our brains. But we don't realize it and creating like you said, for the first time ever, the life expectancy of the younger generation is now shorter than our own. Yeah, so the more model is just a way of being able to describe how to get more life, more health, more energy, more happiness. But the M-O-R-E of more stands for movement, O for optimizing your environment, R for rest and rejuvenation, and E for eating and supplementation. So it was just a nice tidy way of putting it together. And that's really the power of pulling these things together. As I said, our biological systems strongly influence each other. So if you really want to have joy, happiness, health, and productivity, you can't do it without integrating all of these systems. Um, And so that's really uh, just a simple way of being able to explain it to people when we use that to design plans for people. Well, and I'm I'm glad that I have some form of proof, I hope, that I put together my website before I found you. Otherwise, you could sue me for plagiarism because the four (laughs) things that I have on my website are movement, fuel, meaning nutrition, balance, meaning sleep and anxiety reduction, stress reduction and meditation, and then productivity, which is all about optimizing your time. So as soon as I was introduced to your website by a mutual friend, I was like, this is awesome. And oh my God, I feel like I've just copied this guy. So it's uh, it's <laughs> it's really cool the way that even though we're literally across the globe from each other, we have this kind of same general holistic overview about how to really approach these issues. So let's just go into the brain science. Let's start digging in and let's talk about what is it that modern life is actually doing to our brains that we're not seeing. Yeah, so the epidemic of neurodegenerative disorders, and some people would even include depression as, as part of that, but the epidemic we're seeing 
is the tip of the iceberg. And so it's really the perfect storm of modern life. You know, um, there's a gene which puts you at very strong risk of Alzheimer's. So it's called the APOE4 gene. All my clients get tested for it um, because it changes the way we, what we plan for those people. But, you know, there's places like Nigeria that have very high incidence of this gene, yet they have almost no Alzheimer's. So all of this epidemiological research is telling us Alzheimer's is a result of modern life. It's the perfect storm. And we can burrow down into that, but it includes all the things that you talk about and the more models. So, you know, the stress we're under. It turns out that Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative disorders are the brain's attempt to actually protect itself from the multiple disturbances, toxic, what we call perturbations, that are inflaming our brains, and the brain produces these proteins, such as amyloid beta and tau, in an attempt to actually protect itself. So when they take a close look at these plaques that cause these things, they will find bacteria, spirochetes. They'll find, you know, that the brain has actually produced these things to try and protect itself. So what it tries to do is, like, downsize itself. In this protection, unfortunately, has this collateral damage, if you like, and it causes shrinking of the brain and brain cells to pull apart. But when you look at the risk factors of Alzheimer's, there are so, so many, you know, so the diet, the diabetes, the sugar, carbohydrates, the stress, the lack of sleep, other inflammatory, the gut-brain access that we're talking about. No one was able to really explain to us why do so many very different things cause the same proteins to be laid down until a man from UCLA, Professor Dale Bredesen, with 30 years of research of asking the question why brain cells die, has come up with a very strong theory of how that works. And, the, and this is what I'm talking about, the, the protein protecting its, itself. Not only is it a theory, He's the first person to describe over 100 cases of reversal of early cognitive decline, mild cognitive impairment, which is the precursor to Alzheimer's, and full-blown Alzheimer's in its early stages. So he has described many cases now over, I think it must be getting up to about 150 now, but certainly 110 when I went to training with him. And he documented brains actually growing. So the hippocampus, which is the memory side of the center of the brain, he's documented a, a doctor actually who had shrunk to the 17th percentile, growing up to the 80th percentile on his program. So using functional medicine, finding out all of those perturbations, whether it's inflammation, gut-brain access, hormone problems, fixing them and allowing the brain to heal itself. So this is extraordinary, unprecedented work. And that's one concept that I think very few people in the general public really understand is that they assume, well, I was born and I have this brain and I'm just as smart as I am. And, you know, over time, I'm going to lose my memory. And when I get old, there's there's a chance I'll have Alzheimer's. It just it kind of happens. But in my program, I talk just a very little bit because I'm not a licensed professional, but I talk about the concept of neuroplasticity and. And just that concept alone, it really helps people's eyes open and they say, wait, 
you mean that my brain can actually grow and repair itself and I can actually enhance my intelligence and my creativity and I'm not just who I am. That's a huge revelation to people. And now you're saying that there's like very clear documented science showing this happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's unprecedented. That being said, I'm involved in, uh, we're now doing a multi-site trial. Um, and so we're literally in discussion with Mark Hyman's group at the Cleveland Clinic for we're doing a trial in Australia. We're going to join together forces because we have to prove that this can be done outside Professor Dale Bredesen and he's all for it. So, yeah, we've, we've still got more research to do, but this is the un, unprecedented. And the key thing is that, yes, the people who get diagnosed with Alzheimer's are the tip of the iceberg, people with you know, reversible and preventable brain damage uh, sitting underneath the iceberg. They're the vast majority of people. And, you know, I've done a bit of corporate health, as you know, and, and one of the things that was really frightening is you talk to people, and, and most people in corporate jobs are getting through their afternoon on coffee, Coca-Cola, candy, anything they can do to just boost that glucose up because it's crashing and to calm down inflammation and, and just to get through the day. Now, we should not underestimate the damage that that's doing the brain. When the brain, you know, when the glucose drops because it's had too much high-carbohydrate lunch and you get this reactive high production of insulin and then the glucose drops, that's creating inflammation at the brain cell level. And that, over the years will damage and shrink your brain and your memory and your productivity and your function and it puts you at risk of anxiety and depression, et cetera. So it's a real concern that this generation, the way we're living, are damaging their brains. But, and, but the cool thing is there's ways to do it and to prevent that and in the process be happier and more productive. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO, Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a toe 
diplomat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height-adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. And the key word there is inflammation. And that was one of the discoveries that I made in my own personal quest, trying to learn all the stuff about my own health and then start to teach it to people, is we are absolutely indoctrinated to believe that better health is about the amount of calories consumed and the amount that we move during the day and finding a balance between them. But when I realized that if you just focused on the amount of inflammation in your body and in your brain and you stop worrying about counting calories and you look at the types of foods and the types of activities and behaviors that either increase or decrease inflammation, that's kind of like the the magic secret sauce that nobody talks about. Because once you learn how to manage inflammation, it's kind of like an on and off switch for your creativity and for just your productivity and really feeling like you're awake and you're alert. It's all about the inflammation. Yeah, I would say that it, your inflammation is at the center of it. It's not the only thing because you also have to consider your habits and behaviors and your neural pathways. So like, for example, you now doing quantitative electroencephalograms, EEGs, we're able to now look at the brain and how the various waveforms of our brain create a neural pathway for us. Now, that's what we need to also hack into because you can have low inflammation but still have a neural pathway and a thinking process that's equivalent to someone with post-traumatic stress disorder, for example. And that's going to affect you and it's going to affect your longevity, your performance and function. So things like focus, mindfulness, meditation are also, I would put up right up there with uh, inflammation. Of course, nothing's separate. They infect each other. So a highly focused, relaxed, mindful person is reducing his inflammation all the time through the cortisol and the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal complex. That, that's been well shown, but not used. How many people know that? You know, it's, a, it's, it's way less than 1%. Um, and, and how many people are using it in their daily lives to improve the quality of their life, which is what you and I are talking about. Well, and I think the part of it is, for example, if you're talking about meditation or you're talking about sleep, the reaction is, well, I, don't, I just don't have time for that. Like, do you have any idea how busy I am? How many hours that I work? I don't have time to meditate. Like, if, if I get six hours a night, I'm totally winning, but I'm getting everything delivered. I'm getting it done. And yeah, sure, I need a couple of coffees, a couple of Starbucks runs at 4 or 5 p.m. And I might have to, you know, have a candy bar at 7 or 8. But what's the big deal? I've gained a few pounds. Like, who am I harming? And you're saying, well, it goes much deeper than that. And you really got to look at what it's doing to your brain long term. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also a mindset and an approach that we have handed on our health to the medical profession. Whereas what we should be doing is saying, you know what, health is actually, what are we without our health? What do we have? You know, what's the point in gathering the latest iPhone and three cars in the garage if we end up in coronary care unit at the age of 45, which is not uncommon. Or my friend who's 50 and got secondary prostate cancer. You know, 
what's the point of all that? And what we seem to be seeking and gadgets and material resources as a priority over our health and our well-being. And that has to change in people's mindset. And I, I, I say to clients, look, if you don't have that right, you know, go away and go to the mountaintop, come back to me when you are prepared to accept that health is one of, if not the most important aspects of life. And then we're ready to work with you. Um, and so I think, you know, we people out there listening to this, make that decision first. And then people like myself, we have processes for you. We have plans. We have the science. Come and go and see a functional medicine doc. Get your inflammatory markers tested. Find out where you're at. Get a baseline done and get a plan to fix it. Yeah, and that's something that I think I check. If it's not twice, it's at least once a year, but I'm pretty sure it's twice a year where I always make sure when I'm working with my integrative medicine specialist, we're doing all of the inflammatory markers. And like I said, I'm a total geek about this stuff. So when I get my blood test back, of course, I want to know my cholesterol and blood pressure and all that. But I'm like, yeah, but what about the inflammatory markers? What about what about my HSCRP? <laughs> you know, what about the like cardiovascular risk, like the all that stuff? And he's like, I mean, these numbers are just spot on. Like, I don't. It, it's and he can tell that it's because of the the lifestyle, the amount of movement I have throughout the day, the fact that I try to avoid inflammatory foods, and the fact that I prioritize sleep. So, where I want to go to next is when we talk about Alzheimer's. Much of my audience is fairly young. They're all ambitious, creative professionals. They're go getters. They just want to dive into the world, make their mark in their career. And it's kind of the sleep when I'm dead mentality. So Alzheimer's to them, that's not even a thought. But you say that you really need to start looking for these signs very, very early. And I think one of the most common phrases that I hear is one of the complaints from everybody that works with me is lack of focus and brain fog. So let's talk a little bit. If we're if we're speaking to an audience that's saying, well, my grandparents have Alzheimer's, I'll deal with that in 50 years. Let's start to make the connection where it is. They need to start realizing that this stuff happens very, very early. Yeah, I, there's two things to this. I mean, you've got a younger audience. They're going to see it in their parents. They are starting to notice. I've got a client that brought to me by his son. Finally, you know, he's kind of kicking and screaming and said, nothing wrong with me kind of thing. And in the end, his son had to remind him of all the mistakes. So, yeah, actually, that gen your generation is very important because it's the family that noticed the changes first. And, and they need to know that there is a reversal process now. Don't ignore it. If you think mum and dad are, are slipping, get, you know, contact me, contact us. Find out there's a simple online test they can do, 15 minutes that will screen them and see whether they've got a problem or not. But so that's one thing. I think the, you know, the younger generation play a critical role in, in being aware that this that there's reversal, that this can actually be fixed in their parents. Because I can tell you with two parents with Alzheimer's, it is absolutely terrifying what, what happens and it affects everybody. No one escapes and it's very stressful and um, you don't, you just don't want it. So yeah, get on to that. But I think the brain fog side of things, it's the same process that leads to Alzheimer's is happening in a younger age. What happens is the inflammatory molecules get into your brain, they turn on your immune system, the system that is in there, we call them the microglial cells and the astrocytes, they're in there to try and protect your brain, but if they're turned on too much, they actually start to 
get in between brain cells, cause swelling, cause inflammation, and kill off brain cells, literally. They not only do that, they signal for the brain cells what we call the synapses where one brain cells join another. They start to pull apart. This can be actually seen on microscopes. And so brain fog is a serious warning sign that you have not got your holistic approach to life right and you need to look at look at getting that sorted. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the, the glial cells or the glial cells as you call them because that helps me transition to one of the areas I want to focus on, which is sleep. And I just recently had Sean Stevenson on and we did a deep dive into sleep and we talked about the glymphatic system and the lymphatic system and how one serves the body and one serves the brain, but it only serves the brain during sleep. So can we go a little bit further down the rabbit hole as far as how important sleep is to brain health? Yeah, no, sure. And, um, you know, it was surprising and I was delighted to read about the glymphatic system, but it was just, you know, relatively recently that we discovered this extraordinary network of what is the lymphatic system for the brain, the glymphatic system. I mean, yeah, go get people, if you're interested, Google it and look at the scans of this incredible system that weaves in between our, the, our brain matter and cleans up the crap at night. So at night, this glymphatic system, it does work during the day, but it's like four or five times more active at night while we sleep. And it, the whole process is turned on by over 300 genes. So we've got at least 300 genes that only get turned on while we sleep. And that's one of the things they do is they turn off the glymphatic system and that goes looking for the garbage from the metabolism of the brain cells. Of course, it's the most active organ, right? Consumes 25% of our calories, the brain. So it has a lot of metabolic waste. That's what it does during sleep, going around, mopping up the metabolic waste, the garbage disposal. And if you don't sleep well enough or long enough, you're leaving that garbage left behind in your brain. And what does it do? It does what garbage does. It rots and it infects other things and it causes you know, a massive amount of this glial activation, which actually kill off brain cells. So yeah, don't take uh, insomnia lightly. You need to do something about it until you find your own personal solution. We, we can get into those, but sleep is a top priority. I go to bed at half past eight. I do crap. I mean, my friends say to me, what? You know, I leave parties to prioritize sleep. And, you know, the timing of sleep is important. And again, look at how our genetics, we weren't, we were meant to go to bed at, or at least sit around a fire and tell stories and sing songs, you know, for 2 million years. That's how our genetics have, have evolved. Not to turn on lights and look at computer screens and drop our melatonin by 25% in the process. So we're not designed to stay up. We're designed to go to bed at sunset or just after and to wake up with sunrise. And all the science of circadian rhythms strongly supports this, that we're just not living a life that optimizes our brains or our physiology. But I'm assuming by this point, though, we've genetically adapted to Netflix at night, though, right? <laughs> no, that, yeah, no, exactly not. You know, it, it takes 10,000 years to adapt. I mean, maybe sooner with some genes, but something in that order on average. So no, we're not adapted to uh, light, to blue light. Um, this is a completely modern phenomenon. And so, you know, let people know you dropping your melatonin, your key sleep hormone 
by up to 25% by watching your screens at night. I always do when I do corporate health, I, I ask everyone in the room, who is one of the last things on their day look at their you know, their iPhone and 95% of the hands go up. And, and just even a small amount of exposure to blue light will drop your melatonin. Now, look, I put a lot of my clients on melatonin. It does drop with age. So that's one of the reasons brains get more inflamed with age. But melatonin is an extraordinary hormone. It's got a lot to do with reducing inflammation and it's an antioxidant for the brain. You know, one of the things you need to do is take care of your melatonin levels and we can actually measure it. And then you'll find functional medicine doctors doing that now. I'm glad you mentioned that melatonin is a hormone because I've actually seen in Facebook threads in my industry where people say, hey, I'm having a hard time sleeping. What are some suggestions that you have? And I'll see, well, you know, I drink a couple of glasses of wine before bed or I do Tylenol PM or I take a, a, you know, a melatonin pill. But they think that melatonin is a sleeping pill, not realizing that it would be no different. I mean, it is different in some sense, but it's kind of like saying I'm taking a testosterone pill. Like once you start taking and relying on something like that, you're actually screwing up your abilities to regulate it if you're not very careful. I couldn't agree more. And you can go, you know, down to your local pharmacy and buy five milligram melatonin pill. And I would never put someone on five milligrams unless there was a good reason. Sometimes... But you only need 100 micrograms, what's that, a 50th of that. And, you know, I, I take a, I take that, I take 100. You know, I'm 57 years old. I know my melatonin production's down to what it could be. I have two parents with Alzheimer's, so I, I have to be careful. So, yeah, it has a – and I came to that dose from the science, and it just works really well for me. So I take a bit of ashwagandha and a tiny dose of melatonin at night, and along with meditation, you know, I sleep really, really well. But, the, but people need to come back to this personalized thing. People need to understand their physiology and genetics are different to everybody else's. And they need to have that motivation and the energy and the prioritization of finding their own personal solutions. But that being said, there are a lot of commonalities. Like I said, you know, ashwagandha and a tiny dose of melatonin with meditation. That's going to take care of, I would say, 70 to 80% of people who have sleep problems. So, yeah, so... Your melatonin is a powerful thing, but don't abuse it because it will turn off your natural production if you take too much. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we could go down this rabbit hole alone for hours because I love talking about (laughs) sleep. It's a huge passion of mine. And I'm the same way where when I look at my calendar and it's like, oh, there's this meetup group. Oh, it starts at 9 p.m. Like, no, I just can't do it. I love these people, but I got to get my seven to eight hours because if I don't get it, I'm mortgaging like a week of my productivity. So it hits me really, really hard where if I do one night where it's even like six hours and I used to sleep four hours a night thinking that I was a machine and I would just get work done and I would sleep when I was dead. And I just about did sleep when I was dead, meaning I almost (laughs) died because of that. Um, But now if I have just one or two nights in a row where I even hit just six, we're not talking three or four hours or pulling an overnighter. If I get six hours of sleep over two nights, I'm useless for a week, at least a week. So to me, I'm not saving any time or productivity by losing an hour or two of sleep. It doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. And if you can get that out to people, that's a fantastic message. And just look, Everyone should think about their brains full of garbage. If they're not having a good night's sleep, it's just left there to rot. And it'll rot your brain cells at the same time. And, you know, it does 
it affects your neurotransmitters, these essential things. So that's going to affect anxiety levels, depression levels, abilities to focus, to have relationships um, effectively. So it's it's just absolutely imperative if you want a good quality of life. Yeah. So the next area that I want to go, staying in the same idea, um, still talking about Alzheimer's, talking about brain inflammation and actually doing permanent brain damage. Now I want to transition to food because people are not making the connection between food and brain. They're saying food and my belly or food and my hips and my thighs if I'm a woman, but they don't realize how closely associated their food and nutritional choices are to their brain. So much so, and you can go much deeper into this than I could, but they're now calling Alzheimer's in some circles type three diabetes. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you've got diabetes and you know, this is the crazy thing that um, Western medicine does. We have this cutoff point you know, we do a bell curve, and, and if you're out here on the limb, you have diabetes. Well, that's that's not how biological systems work. Um, so there's we've got to really address the diagnosis. So now they've at least come out and said you are pre-diabetes. The point is, if you're having a diet of processed foods, refined carbohydrates, you're going to be spiking your sugar and your insulin levels and creating brain inflammation, no doubt about it. And that's going to give you the brain fog and it's going to give you anxiety. And and so, yeah, you need to have, the the summary of it, of course, is like a nutrient-dense, plant-based, low-refined carbohydrate, healthy fat diet. And that's what we put on. You know, there's all different types of diets and it is different for people. Sometimes... You know, a lot of my work is customizing diets, but there's certainly some common threads. And, and you know, the nutrient density is something that people forget about. Now, a lot of people will get themselves on, yeah, yeah, I have five or six fruits and vegetables a day, and yeah, 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 I do all this. But you actually look at the nutrient density of their diet, it's still low to medium. And you can, you know, need to bump up that nutrient density because that affects every organ in your body and especially the brain because, of course, you know, so – so um, and within that nutrient density, there's a lot of certain types of nutrients that we should talk about. The polyphenols uh, in fruits and especially in berries are critical. The, the flavonoids and, the uh, you know, the things like cacao – absolutely essential. I get all my clients on on pure cacao and DHA, of course, with the fish oil, EPA and DHA on fish oil. And interestingly, just a hot tip for everyone, please check out broccoli sprouts, sulfur, raffaine, inside cruciferous vegetables are great, but it's a hundred times more of this active anti-aging longevity substance called sulforaphane in broccoli sprouts. And there's a special way of doing it, and here's how you do it. You get your broccoli sprouts, you heat some water to 60 degrees around, get a thermometer, but if it's 50, 60 degrees, pour it on your broccoli sprouts for 10 minutes and then make it throw in your smoothie. That is one of the most important nutritional things anyone can do and almost no one knows about it. Go to the studies on sulfur for brain, 20% reduction of all-cause mortality, less cancer, less heart disease, less brain disorders like Alzheimer's, and uh, it helps you detox, boost your glutathione levels, which is your major antioxidant that we all have in every cell. Check out that, as a, and I don't have any 
financial interest in any broccoli seed companies, but um, I think that's a real hot tip for people. Well, and that's the problem too that you kind of bring up is that there isn't multiple billions of dollars in broccoli sprouts. So (laughs) people are saying, well, why haven't I heard about it? If I haven't heard about it, then it must not work. It's like, that's because you can't make billions of dollars off of it. And if you could, then people would market it and they would make billions of dollars. And what does is processed foods and things that are crunchy and things that are sweet. That's where the money is. But people don't realize that a lot of the nutritional information that they've been taught for the last four or five decades is driven by corporations and money as opposed to actual factual information. Oh, absolutely. And it's criminal and no one's being charged. And I mean, I don't want to get into the whole story, but the summary is that the actual dietitians that they employed to come up with the food pyramid for America came out with 10 recommendations that included, of course, plants at the pyramid at the bottom and everything we've talked about and grains and processed food up at the top. And it was turned around because of corporate interests so the grains got it to the bottom. And the dietitians just held their hands up and said, well, what can we do? We're out of here. Um, that whole story, you can find it online. It's well documented. But no one was actually charged with the damage that that's caused not only America, the whole Western world. I mean, it is the primary curse and the primary source of modern disease is our processed foods along with the Roundup and glycophosphate, and that can lead into a story about gut-brain health, glycophosphate that's in everything. I heard a most horrendous piece of factoid the other day that 75% of the rains in America contain glycophosphate Roundup, the number one insecticide that Monsanto and everyone uses. It's raining glycophosphate. And what that does and why that's so important is we now know that gets into our gut and breaks down the gut lining so that we get this thing called leaky gut. So the cells pull apart and in go the inflammatory molecules from the food and the bacteria in our gut, get into the blood system and our brain go, our blood system goes, what are you? You are foreign. I don't know who you are. Attacks it. And that leads to two main things, autoimmune disease, which is an epidemic, you know, one in five, perhaps even one in four Americans have an autoimmune disease, that a lot of it goes undiagnosed, whereas it used to be almost zero, and then also travels up the zonulin that's produced as a result of those gut cells pulling apart, actually open the blood-brain barrier as well. So now the blood-brain barrier is leaky, And these inflammatory molecules get in, and that's what leads to Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, or at least certainly contributes in a major way. And, you know, when I I read about this, I knew about this, and I started seeing people with Alzheimer's and early cognitive decline, and I just can't get over how many of them, almost all of them, have gut reactions. And just today, I had another test come back. It's off the charts. This person's got the leakiest gut I've ever had. They haven't got Alzheimer's, but we're going to fix that and they won't get Alzheimer's. They're going to, their brain's going to come back. So this is a big deal for everyone. And so you need to understand, again, that interaction between not only the carbohydrates refined, but what's in it, the 80,000 chemicals that we've allowed into our system in the last 80 years. Only 5% of those have been satisfactorily tested as safe. And so, yep, follow the money trail, people. That's why, because there's so much money to be made by getting you addicted. And there's all sorts of science to show that it stimulates the same pathways as cocaine does in your brain. 
getting you hooked on these rapidly absorbed powders. That's what it is. Our body doesn't doesn't want a powder. Even white bread is worse than sugar as far as the glycemic index of our pushing your sugar levels higher. White bread's worse than pure table sugar. So get you addicted, make a lot of money, throw in some preservatives. It can stay on the shelf for you know years. We can still sell it. And we are all very rich, but you're all very sick. So yeah, pay attention, people. This is happening to you right now. Yeah, and we could. This could be a, a multi-part four-hour episode just on this one conversation. <laughs> and I mean, people have made entire movies about this one conversation. So I don't want to go too far deep into that. I have spent almost ten years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Where I wanted to go next is really my number one passion and anybody listening to the show on a regular basis or that is part of my online programs knows that I focus all on movement throughout the day. If you are somebody that is sedentary in front of a desk for 12 to 16 hours, and then at 10 o'clock at night, you do your three miles of jogging or you get on the treadmill or you get on your bike, you're not making any dent whatsoever to the damage that you're doing by not moving efficiently and properly throughout the day. So now let's focus on how movement is affecting our brain health, both positively and negatively. Well, yeah, they call sitting the new smoking, right? I was the one... uh... I presented this at conferences, actually. And uh, NASA were the first people to get a little bit suspicious about this because their astronauts came back and they were like aging big time. And they're going, what? What is this? And um, so in the end, they did all these studies and they now call it vitamin G, vitamin gravity. And the impact on gravity and moving and resisting gravity simply by sitting up standing up, you resist gravity, right? That has a powerful uh, physiological effect on on multiple systems. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. The longest living cultures, the blue zones, we know what they are. We are researching them. These are not rich people. These are often poor farmers, you know, in the Mediterranean islands and Crete and Okinawa. 
they are working all day. They're in the gardens, interestingly enough, which is helping their microbiome and their gut, which is another side effect of that, I'm sure of it. But they're working all day. They don't go to the gyms. They don't run miles. They're just moving all day. So there's the evidence, people, but we can we can come down to the cellular level uh, and show that the hormonal response to movement is helping you reduce your inflammation and to optimize your your calorie burn, of course, but also your power and your strength. And then that also reduces cortisol levels, and so you feel happier and more relaxed, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I've been I've had a standing desk for years because we knew the science the case first came out about five or six years ago. There's a little book called um, Sitting as the New science, uh, new smoking, you know, can read it in an afternoon. I recommend people read it. And it tells the story about the NASA scientists, how they discovered this. And so, yeah, get yourself a standing desk. And what I do is, um, you know, I just try and stand on one leg. I put one leg up in a kind of standing lotus, half lotus position, and I wobble around um, while I'm talking to you or doing my own work with clients. I'm constantly on one foot. And so that those micro movements, that constant adjustment and wobbling, that's sending my brain healthy messages. It's stimulating what we call brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is fertilizer for the brain, um, which you do get from aerobic exercise and you do get from muscle and resistance training, but you can get it much much more just by this constant triggering of movement during the day. So it's a big deal. Yeah, and what I'm so super proud to say that I actually did a full interview with Dr. Joan Vernikos, who was the head of the life sciences division at NASA when they were making these discoveries. And it was one of the coolest interviews that I've ever done. So anybody that's listening that was not aware of that interview, I have that included in my Move Yourself program. I also have it included in the podcast archives, but we do an entire hour just into some of these discoveries that NASA had about gravity, how it affects our body negatively. But where I want to go specifically with you, because you're so into the brain, um, and I actually had a podcast as well with Dr. John Rady, where we talked about the, the revolutionary new science of exercise in the brain. But what's really interesting to me when you're talking again about brain degeneration and Alzheimer's, I want to focus a little bit on what's happening when you're not moving as far as atrophy of the brain and how they've actually proved that your brain is shrinking if you're sedentary all day long and how that's affecting your ability to be creative, to spark new ideas and just produce creative thoughts. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, some of these studies come out and they're really good studies and really strong, but they kind of go nowhere. I mean, I'm talking to the CEO of Alzheimer's Australia and at the moment about our program and, you know, she's listening, but she didn't even know about some of these studies. So, like, this is how powerful exercise can be. They have shown that this brain center called the hippocampus, which is really the first part, usually, not always, but usually the first part that gets affected by Alzheimer's is why you start losing your short-term memory. So it's a thing that takes, you know, creates longer-term memories from your short-term memories. You can actually grow that part of your brain physically by exercise. And why that's growing is because the number of synapses, the number of communication points between brain cells is growing. And they've shown this in lots of rat studies where they can do stains of these synapses and they can show the density of those synapses 
actually increasing through an exercise program. So, you know, it's just a direct motivation to grow brain cells. I'm not a motivation, but a, a physiological stimulus. Then, of course, there's all sorts of other things that the exercise does that has this collateral benefit. And, you know, probably haven't got time to talk about that. But, you know, one of them is that inflammation again. Exercise causes as a stressor. And through the process of homeostasis, the body goes, oh, you just stressed me. But I tell you what, I'm going to create all these rejuvenating hormones and rejuvenating processes in order to rebalance that stress. And it's that process which also creates fertilizer for the brain, the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and stimulates what we call neurogenesis, the creation of, of new brain cells from the stem cells. So we have these, these millions and millions of baby brain cells. I've got a client who says, I've been losing my marbles. I say, well, you've got billions of baby marbles just sitting there waiting to grow again. We just need to create the environment where they go, they pop their heads out and go, okay, now it's time to grow a brain cell. And exercise is one of, if not the most powerful ways to do it. What I try to tell my the members in my program and people that are just asking me questions, they're saying, and I get a really common question, which is, there's so many different things. There's sleep. I'm supposed to sleep better. I'm supposed to eat better. I'm supposed to manage my time better. I'm supposed to move. I'm supposed to exercise. Like, I don't know where to start. And I always say the biggest domino is not exercise. It's just moving. If you just start to move more, you're going to have a little bit more energy. You're going to have a little bit more clarity. And that's when the rest of the dominoes are going to start to topple over. You're a medical professional. So you can say that that's the wrong approach. But I really, truly believe in my heart from my own experience and seeing it happen to many other people, that just moving more is is such an amazing first step to then starting to knock over these other dominoes. Look, I think if, if, you know, you might be someone, this would be the approach I take. You might be someone who used to be a sports person, loved playing tennis, just as an example, and you've left that behind and you've, you know, you're corporate, you're stressed, you're overweight. You've got to do what motivates you. You know, the first hump is the hardest. All these things, I do a thousand health things in a day and I don't even think about it anymore, right? I don't even think about the smoothie I made this morning, the ice pack I wore, the photomodulation I'll put up my nose to get me into alpha rhythm to boost my sleep later time. I don't even think about them. They're just habits. They're just automatic. But to get started, you've got to focus on what will motivate you and to support that motivation. So start with the most, the easiest, most powerful things to do. So if that is playing tennis with your old buddy that you haven't played tennis with for 10 years and you used to love it, do that. Or go for a walk, like you say, get a standing desk. Don't do it straight away all day. Do it five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. Just stay motivated, get motivated, start to feel the benefits and then, you know, adopt a new thing. I would say that, um, you know, learning about motivation and habit change is really empowering for people. And, you know, Stanford University are really the world leaders in this and you can you can buy books on the, on the thing. Um, and just learning techniques, little tricks to motivate you and keep you motivated and to get, such as getting an accountability buddy, finding someone else to go on this journey with you, you know, someone that that you respect, someone who you can influence each other. Maybe it's the person next to you in the corporate building who's also a bit overweight. Come on, buddy. We're going to go out at lunchtime, get a bit of vitamin D, go for a walk. We're going to have a whole food lunch. 
just these little things to start with and get a coach. I mean, you know, the science came out this the other day. Uh, we sent it to someone. Online coaching doubles your chances of success in a health outcome. That's, you know, there aren't many things that double your chances of success. So, you know, don't be embarrassed. There's no one who won a gold medal at the last Olympics without coaches. They have a role to play. Go get one that works for you and get on a change program. Once again, I'm in that kind of weird zone where I feel like I may end up getting sued by you because all of this is so similar to the <laughs> things that I'm doing where like I was just writing up stuff today for a challenge that I'm building talking about, hey, you have to get an accountability buddy. I use those exact words is that you are going to ensure your success so much more if you have somebody that you're going to do this with. And then on top of it, I make it very clear that I can teach you all the lessons in the world, but if they don't become habits and you don't understand how to form these things as habits, nothing's ever going to stick. And you go back into that same vortex of doing all of the wrong things over and over. So it's, it's crazy how you and I are just in the exact same playbook, just kind of looking at all the, the same stuff. And that really excites me knowing that we really, I mean, I just found you totally by chance through a mutual connection who's in Thailand of all places, but to know that there are other people that really see things through a similar lens, especially those that have decades worth of formal education is very encouraging to me because I've really felt like for years I've been talking about this and I'm just this outlier and I'm like, I must be crazy. But it's it's very encouraging to hear that there are people with a lot of education that are saying, yep, yeah, all this stuff pretty much makes sense. Yeah. And the, the key thing is for us to work together. I mean, it's not about competition because we have to work with the new science and share it and get it out there because this thing will be, you know, driven from the public. This will be demand driven. That's why Cleveland Clinic, they're a commercial exercise. They've opened up a clinic. People are paying, you know, like four or five times more money than they would for a 15 minute appointment with a family physician because they're getting great value for money. They're getting to the bottom, the real underlying reasons of the problem, and then they're getting support and a, and a scientific evidence-based plan to fix that problem from the bottom up. But we are against multi-billion dollar industry. And I'm not saying that we're against all of it. Look, I prescribe drugs. There's a place for them occasionally, but only as part of a, a holistic plan to actually address the underlying issues. Drugs have a place. Um, so it's not a them and an us kind of war. It's just we got to work together to give people the opportunity. And that's what it is. It's a massive opportunity to feel better, be happier, and have a greater quality of life. So I'm always willing to come on these types of podcasts and share things. I don't, I don't believe it, you know, it's competitive. I've got plenty of work. Um, I don't need, you know, it's demand driven. There's people out there suffering. So we just need to help them. I agree. Yeah. I, I couldn't compete with you anyway. So I'm glad you have no interest in it because you're, you're on a completely different level than I am. So I'm just super excited to find other people out on the planet that have the same ideals and the same mission that I have and are aligned with all the goals that I have as well. So um, I want to be very respectful of your time. So for anybody that's listening, that's really intrigued by all of the work that you are doing and they want to get involved, how can they find you and go deeper? Uh, look, just email me. I'm uh, Dr. Dave, D-R-D-A-V-E at themoremodel.com, T-H-E-M-O-R-E, M-O-D-E-L.com. 
Uh, email me if you're interested. You can check out themoremodel.com. That's um, we've also got Endow Simers Australia, but themoremodel.com. Check out the brain section. Check out the other sections about what the more model is all about. We do, you know, individualized reversal of diseases and corporate health as well. And we're specialising. Um, I do do other things, like I say, but I take on case by case and we're here if you need me. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. I've been so inspired by this conversation and I hope that it does the same for all my listeners as well. So thank you so much for being on. All right. Thanks, Zach. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.